0: diving into data Diving di- diving d- d- data Diving into data with TC Riley Hello 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 everybody how's everyone doing on this wonderful Wednesday Welcome into another episode of diving into data I am your host TC Riley um, Today we're gonna dive into some current topics because pretty much everywhere you look, um, the economy and COVID-19 and uh, things are a mess out there. Um, so lots of uh, hot take news stories. So we're going to specifically dive into two things. We always start with sports here, but this is a big enough story as we're actually going to push sports to the back burner a little bit to start today. Um, we're going to look overall at the global economic turmoil. Um, the stock market's going crazy again. The two biggest factors in that being the um, kind of oil war for lack of a better term between Saudi Arabia and Russia and then COVID-19 and the impacts of the coronavirus on the global stock market and the global economy. And then the second half, we're gonna look specifically at the sports impact of COVID-19. It's been furiously uh, updating by the minute. We're actually recording this here Wednesday afternoon. Um, And in just the last two hours, there have been some changes. So we're gonna dive into kind of what the impact of that is. And we're gonna use all this, of course, in the context of what is the data telling us and what should we expect? But before anything else, let's go ahead and get started on the global economic impact and what we're dealing with there. So those of you who maybe have been living under a rock the last week, um, you haven't seen that the, uh, the stock markets and the global economy overall have been on a roller coaster, um, specifically not a very good roller coaster. Um, so what we're looking at um, is starting with last week, a lot with COVID-19 um, and the coronavirus driving down stocks, we had a massive drop of 10, 12% in the stock market um, driven by that. And things got even worse this week whenever the oil um, updates out of the OPEC um, situation came out. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the two big things here, um, I think everyone's familiar with coronavirus, COVID-19, and what's going on there. However, not everyone might be aware of the oil side of this, which might even be a a bigger deal right now. Um, And a quick recap, not an oil industry expert, but what we're dealing with is there's a big OPEC meeting last week, and pretty much Saudi Arabia and Russia are having some issues getting along and agreeing to certain price limits and volume limits. Um, obviously, it's a very delicate supply-demand situation between um, global oil production and uh, supply, as well as demand and consumers. So while the demand has been dropping and driving prices naturally lower due to the decrease in demand from things um, tied in, especially right with coronavirus and COVID-19, um, think of you know less plane flights, less people driving, less people traveling, people kind of hunkering down a little bit more less need for gas, that's going to deflate prices somewhat, and those issues kind of led to a discussion at the OPEC side of, okay, well, what's the best, you know, tactic we should take here to address this, get in front of this, make this better, Um, and the number two and three oil producers in the world behind the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Russia um, are not seeing eye to eye on this. Unfortunately, where we're at now, um, Saudi Arabia has pretty much come out and said, fine, we are going to just absolutely ramp up to max production. We are going to make oil incredibly cheap. We're going to drop the prices out on this um, almost in a shock tactic, for lack of a better term, to the rest of the market, um, specifically trying to target Russia. Um, the hopeful overall end goal here is them coming back to the table, coming to an agreement, um, even though from a, um, an isolated, in a vacuum consumer perspective, you might think, great, they're going to more oil. It's going to get even cheaper. I'm going to be able to fill up my car for five bucks. I haven't been able to do that since the 70s. Well, okay, yes, we are headed down that path. Probably not quite that, uh, that cheap to fill up the car, at least if you drive a truck like I do. But um, we are driving towards much lower prices from a consumer perspective, but that has massive global implications on the overall economy, um, not only of the U.S., but the entire world. Um, really, I think what we're talking about here is both of them trying to take a little bit of a revenge against shale production, which is definitely really big here in the U S. Um, but the shale, uh, fracking of shale and doing that, um, getting gas out that way, getting oil, I should say out that way. Um, while also trying to, um, kind of set some boundaries on who's going to really steer this ship. Um, so it's a messy situation all in all. Um, it's not something we're going to dive into too much deeper, but, Um, One of the things that really kind of stands out from a number perspective is the price of crude has dropped about 40% in a month. That's pretty nuts. Um, So I saw uh, when you think of the downstream impacts, not only do they have all the things that oil touches and all the industries, pretty much everyone's reliant, you know, somewhere in everyone's supply chain, oil exists. Um, But when we specifically look at oil companies and some of the big players, especially in the U.S., the Exxon Mobiles, U.S. Oils, things like that. Um, Their stocks have taken a beating on Monday. I saw some of them were down literally 25% of their um, tire value was wiped out in a single day based on this. This is something that I imagine is going to eventually correct itself. It's going to come back around. It's going to get better. Um, However, uh, it is going to be a temporary shock to the system. There are going to be some bumps in the road as we go through this right now. Um, And frankly, again, it is exacerbated by the fact that demand has been decreasing and frankly will probably continue to decrease over the coming weeks and months based on the other topic here that's really kind of shaken up the market, which is COVID-19. We've dove into this enough in the last few episodes. We don't need to go too, too much um, into it, but just a quick bullet uh, recap of the last week, and we're looking at the stock market. It's down about 19 to 20% from the high, which was on February 19th. So not even a month ago, about three and a half weeks ago, um, what the high was, we're down about 20%. Um, 19% specifically, um, for those of you who uh, uh, stock uh, folks out there, you know, bear market starts when it's 20% below um, the uh, overall high. So we're not quite there yet, but we're getting mighty close. And frankly, the way things are going, um, we might be transitioning into a bear market from the um, prosperous bull market we've been into for almost you know like close to the last decade. Um, but uh, there are a number of other factors that have kind of come into this that between the stock market crash um, driven by both the oil and the um, virus concerns, um, we've talked a lot the last few weeks about how a lot of these things were maybe not as big of a deal as we seemed. i um, almost trying to play a little bit of a cautionary tale that yes, we were going to see some temporary little shortages, we're going to see some temporary little negative effects, but overall this isn't a huge deal. We don't expect this to be a problem long term. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that's the case anymore. So what we're looking at now, um, we are uh, the darkening outlook from global perspective. And a lot of economists have kind of gone in this week diving into a lot of these numbers. Um, and there have been some changes in terms of projections, expectations, rates, things like that. Um, the data indicators, the KPIs that me as the data guy looks at. Um, that I'm actually starting to really get concerned now. It's not just a sensationalized story in some regards. It's not just, you can't just chalk this up to, you know, media or social media and da-da-da-da like some people like to do. Um, no, there's some there's some serious red flags in terms of economic indicators. So the first one is the 10-year um, yield on bonds. Um, we've talked about the inverted yield curve before on the show um, and the uh, difference between the bond values for three and 10 years um, treasury bonds. So we're down to 0.66% return on a 10-year um, bond. That is bad. Um, we've never been below 1% before, and it's continuing to drop. Um, again, for what that is, uh, the oversimplified version of that is saying is that people who are buying those are saying they are okay over the next 10 years to get a 0.66% return, which is terrible. It's not you know anywhere near even the inflation rate. So um, it's, almost, it's almost to be looked at and treated a little bit like a negative interest rate in some ways. Um, So that's bad, but maybe even more concerning. um, Looking at the U.S. GDP growth and projections, um, we talked about how last month, um, even when this kind of coronavirus stuff kicked off and there were some concerns that people were viewing it as a temporary dip, maybe a slight dip in Q2 production, but by Q3 we'd be back up and running, everyone would be good. That's not necessarily the case. Um, Now we're looking actually at a revised down projection from 2.1%. To the one of the latest projections for the GDP growth in the U.S. and Q2 are down to 1.1 percent, so down one percent. But actually, that's it's been cut in half um, almost in a month of the expectations. And then the rest of the year, which was looking at about two three, is now down to 2.3 uh, percent. I should say is down to 1.9 percent. Not good. Um, so again, these major indicators, these people that these, you know, professional economists who, frankly, this is their entire life is making these assertions, making these judgments. Yes, it is um, projection. It is speculation. Um, this is not a fact, you know, cold hard fact that this is going to happen. But the fact that a lot of those folks have started to downgrade the long term prospects of where we are with this um, and the impacts of this, we're starting to get uh, closer and closer to what I see—that um, terrible R word that people don't want to hear. Um, that, of course, being recession. Um, so, uh, where this is not the uh, you know the the end is nigh type of speech that we're going to absolutely hit it, um, but I think it's time that we actually have a serious conversation around um, the possibility of recessions and what we could be looking at there. Um, it, it, this is a big picture, so uh, to step back um, from a high level. Probably the single most important thing driving towards that, um, is there going to be a recession, is there not going to be a recession, um, is that consumer spending is what really kind of matters at the end of the day a lot of the times with this. Yes, the stock market can be down. Other These other factors in the economy can be indicating certain things, but consumer spending makes up about 70% of all economic activity in the U.S. economy. So consumer spending drives a lot of this. So we, what we're going to do is almost look at the consumer spending scope of this. Um, we talked about last week, the, um, the notion that you can really start to tell whenever session is near, when you look at the barber shops, they're getting empty. Um, you start looking at these things that are not directly tied to whatever event it is. That's potentially causing this, whether it was the burst on um, the bubble burst a couple, uh, decade or so ago, whether it is the virus now, whatever it may be. Um, and that is where there is some concern because it's gone from something where there wasn't a logical tie-in and you don't necessarily have a clear path of why um, it can, you know, consumer spending is going to be impacted by some of the things going on at a global scale. Now we're starting to see that. And I think the best one is actually going back to our little stock market crash, kind of what triggered this and led this, um, is that the U.S. stock markets overall lost $4 trillion in a week in value. $4 trillion. That's a lot of moolah. What that boils down to is the average household lost about 31K, thirty-one k three hundred thirty-one thousand dollars in value in a week. So that's kind of scary sounding um, for those of us with four hundred one ks. It's not great. Um, luckily for you know, I personally speaking got you know a couple decades to go still before retirement. It's gonna be plenty of time for the market to correct. But um, that is serious. And for people who are more um, closely tied to the value of that, um, folks definitely are closer to retirement. Folks who are. Um, much more active than just having a simple 401k retirement plan, but lots of active investments. Um, They all took some pretty big hits. Doesn't matter what you invest in really, um, outside of maybe I think gold taking up a little bit, just about everything is down, down, down across the board. And that's a lot of money. So when we're talking about $31,000 being lost by the average household, we know not everyone's participating in the stock market, not every household's actually impacted by this. Um, which maybe makes that number even more scary because, again, that average per household is just divided across every household in the U.S. If you say only half of them did that, okay, well, sure, maybe half the houses households were not impacted by this, but that means the other half actually lost about 62K on average. So keep that in mind. Math and averages can be tricky. Don't always just trust the raw number. Make sure you look into a little bit more there. But what we're talking about really at the end of the day is that company, or I'm sorry, individuals and households lost a lot of money and they're going to start to react accordingly. Um, even if it is, again, uh, speaking from personal experience, most of the investments I have are tied up into retirement accounts, 401ks, things that are not necessarily tied to my actual spending. They shouldn't be. That's not my checking account. Um, that's not being impacted. But people are naturally, when they hear this value, they hit that shock. Again, you see that, you know, hear that 31,000 per household number, it kind of sends you know, a shiver up your spine there. And what people are going to naturally do is they are going to start saving more. They're going to start cutting on spending. Um, they're going to start cutting some corners on costs and trying to get those costs lower and lower for the overall household spend. And that that is what really drives a recession because when consumers decrease their spending, businesses are bringing in less money. When businesses bring in less money, they have trouble getting their products out the door. They have trouble keeping people employed. They have trouble paying their supply chain. They have trouble... Um, keeping up production, keeping those orders up with the supply chain. Um, It's this cascade effect that when consumer spending drops, a lot of things lead to it, but that really is the linchpin that holds us together. Just about everything downstream is going to have issues with this. So um, we operate in a B2B space, and that's actually one other thing I want to talk about, is some people might think, well, you work business to business. That's not consumer spending. Businesses should be fine. No, the economy is connected. Everything is connected. Every B2B company likely ends up with more of a B2C company. Um, because even if you know my company only builds machines that other businesses use, well, those other businesses, my customers are probably serving consumers, or even if it's two or three levels down the you know chain here, that at some point the consumer is probably purchasing the end result of all these products. That dries up. It's gonna trickle its way up the line. So even companies who might be a couple layers removed from this, it does impact us. We need to be aware of it. We need to consider it. We need to uh, plan and take action accordingly. So, um, getting back to that R term that no one likes, that recession, one thing I do think is important um, is I read this great article that I was talking about, I believe it was USA Today article, that was talking about rolling recessions versus global recessions. So that's going to be our term of the week this week. Term of the week, it is going to be rolling recession. And what that is, is when you have a, um, when you look back to 2008, um, when the first recession started, what people saw a lot was a global recession. A Every market was impacted. Everyone all over the board was impacted. That is definitely a worst case scenario because it's pretty much we're all taking this hit together. What a lot of experts specifically in this article we're talking about is they think it's much more likely for there to be rolling recessions as a part of this kind of coronavirus outbreak and the outcomes from that. What a rolling recession is is that Different areas and different countries are going to be hit at different times. It's not that the entire global economy all at once in one big swipe is going to be in a recession we're going to do this. It's going to be more localized and more specifically tied to the spread and impact of the coronavirus of COVID-19 in different areas. So what we're talking about there is um, clearly looking back, obviously this originated in China. They had Wuhan pretty much shut down. The Chicago of China shut down for a month or so. Um, China's economy is going to suffer more immediately from this, they're going to have immediate issues. A lot of small businesses in China right now are having trouble paying the loans because they've been out of production. Um, they don't have money coming in. They're having trouble paying those loans. A lot of risk of default. Um, the government's probably going to have to step in on their end to try and you know smooth that over, make sure everyone's good to go for a while. But China's probably going to be hit first by this because they were the the origin source. But that is going to spread. So now we know you know South Korea, Iran, Italy. Um, a bunch of other countries have been hit really hard by this too. Um, they're the next wave. Realistically, in America, the virus itself hasn't had a huge economic impact yet. Yet being the key word there, um, but we are naturally going to be a little behind. And yes, we're talking about weeks, but um, in scales of economy, you know, in economies of scale, we're going to see that these impacts do have water, uh, waterfall effects down the line compared to just everything hitting at once. So um, it is very in- entirely possible that let's say. Um, You know, uh, I don't know enough about the COVID-19 to go into the specifics of what it, you know, thrives with and what it has issues with. But in general, a lot of viruses do, um, uh, they're a lot more powerful in cold areas and, you know, in winter and stuff like that compared to summer or very tropical areas. Let's say that Central America never really gets coronavirus, never really has any issues because of the weather. Um, The virus is incompatible, can't really, you know, live uh, and maintain there. So, Maybe those areas are not impacted by this. There's not a local impact of the virus, so there's not no local economic impact, so there's not a recession locally. However, those of us in the U.S. as this ramps up, we could definitely be impacted by this if over the next weeks and months the virus spreads more, more businesses shut down, more people kind of you know take their ball and go home to be safe. Um, we could see that set in here. So I think it is important to understand that we're not necessarily talking about a global issue, the entire global economy, you know, come crashing down and doom and gloom. Um, I think it's much more likely that the effects of this are more specific to area, um, both in terms of timing and the depth and seriousness of that recession. So something to consider. Um, And on the same note, I mentioned China might be first. Well, China might also be the one to recover first since they're more on top of it. They had the bigger hit, They were able to recover, identify, fix, you know, get around whatever they need to. They might come out of it quicker than, let's say, six months to a year from now. Maybe the U.S. is still having issues because, you know, we were just further down the chain there. China's already recovered. We're still trying to get back to that point. So it's something to consider. Um, There's a lot going on. There's a lot of issues. Um, And a couple of the other little things that the government is trying to step in and do what they're doing is that we've seen that we talked about last week the federal rate cut um, interest rates going down Um, also there have been some payroll tax cuts um, proposed by the current administration Um, really what they're looking at there one of the biggest things that's been a flashpoint as a talking point has been relief for hourly workers that is something to really consider in that a lot of salaried positions in 2020 people have the technology to work remote continue business not necessarily have to go into a physical office and do that however hourly workers in a lot of service retail type positions, they obviously rely on those physical, you know, physically being there. Um, And they don't have the protection for things like salary of PTO and other paid time off and other benefits. So that's one that's really kind of concerning. Um, Hopefully there are some administrative policies that come out from wherever it comes from that gives relief to those hourly workers. They're going to be the ones who are probably most directly and immediately impacted by this. Um, But those last in wages, um, those hourly workers, they make up a good chunk of the economy. It goes back into our, eh, well, they're going to start spending less because they're making less. Consumer spending goes down. You can see this is one big massive cycle, almost one big web, that everything's connected. And unfortunately, that web is not doing too well right now. So um, it, it is a little bit of a scary time. not trying to be the uh, the, you know, the messenger of death here or anything like that. But it is something we've gone from a, eh, I think we're going to be okay to know, don't really worry about it, to, Um, This is real, this is something we need to be aware of. Um, It's something we need to as an economy, as companies, as individuals start preparing for because um, it is real. Um, And the realness of this is actually becoming more apparent by the minute in the sports world, um, which is gonna be our next topic. So we're gonna take a quick commercial break here. As soon as we're back, we're gonna dive into how the sports world, because we always gotta talk sports here and diving into data, is being impacted by the coronavirus. Tired of boring marketing content? Don't have the time or budget to create the videos your company needs? MarketScale may be able to help. Ask us how we can create content for your company today. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin Stevenson. Listen to my show, I Don't Care, on Friday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. We'll be diving into a wide variety of interesting healthcare topics that you may not find anywhere else. Find us on marketscale.com and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Welcome back. Welcome back to diving into data. All right. So that was enough doom and gloom. And unfortunately, got a little bit more for you here in the uh, not happy news side. But um, we're going to dive in because, again, if you listen to the show before and you know me, everything's got to have a sports tie. So we're going to look at how the coronavirus specifically is impacting the sports world, Um, really looking at the professional sports world. So um, as we start this topic, it's important to think about the fact that there have been a lot of impacts already, and there's a lot more to potentially come. Um, this is actually a really cool talk topic to topic be talking about now, because again, it's 1.40 here in the afternoon um in Dallas, Texas, on Wednesday, the eleventh. um and literally, and in the last two hours, I have been getting updates on my phone about certain things that um, certain events have been cancelled. Um, one of the big things that just came up was that there is uh, Seattle this morning implemented a ban on public events over so many individuals, which means that um the Seattle Mariners who have opening day in a couple weeks, I've um, already announced they're not going to be able to play those series. They're considering delay. They're considering moving it. Um, Seattle Sounders have a game against FC Dallas coming up. Not going to be able to do that. Too many people. Um, and this is all going to kind of drive. Uh, this is a very, very, very live updating real dynamic topic. So heck, I might get an update as I'm sitting here in the next 10 minutes and be able to give you some new updates. But from a higher level, um, there's a couple things. And we're going to uh, we're going to touch on the both global and U.S. side of this. Um, some of the big dominoes that have fallen already. Um, Here in the US, the BNP Paribas uh, Open, which is a tennis tournament in Southern California, Um, it is the first big domino to fall that was canceled due to the outbreak of coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, And again, we're diving into data here, so we're looking at the economic impact. So I'm going to come back to some of these numbers here in a minute. Um, But that was an estimated $400 million impact to that Southern California area. That is a big tournament. A lot of people go to. A lot of dollars are spent not just at the event, but the hotels, the restaurants, everything that goes around that event. Um, That's a big one. Um, Leagues around the world have already been also canceling games. We've seen lots um, in terms of um, in Italy, uh, pretty much all sporting events as the country's gone into lockdown. Um, have been canceled there. Um, European soccer in general, we've seen some empty stadiums. We've seen some game canceled. Um, and maybe the biggest one in terms of economic impact that we're going to see on the global scale right now is the Bahrain Grand Prix, which is the F1 race coming up. Um, that will be run in an empty arena, an empty stadium. They are not having people come in. That's especially one. F1 events are definitely have an international presence. A lot of people come in from out of the country to um, attend those events. Obviously, more people traveling internationally, more risk there is there. So that's that's not a good one. Um, that's going to cost a lot of money, and those are also usually, frankly, a wealthy clientele. Um, that's going to be a lot of money that Bahrain's going to be missing out on from that event. Um, it's expensive to host those, and then you hope that you were, you know, you get that back from all the money that's brought in by the event. Um, they're going to have those expenses. They're not necessarily going to have that return this time. Um, so there's some issues there. Um, And I think that's actually a good little microcosm for the, probably the most interesting one to me, the one that when I thought about it was, wow, that could really be bad. And that is the fact that we have the Tokyo 2020 Olympics um, coming up here in about four months or so. Um, If you don't know what the Olympics are, I'll just tell you to Google it because I think everyone knows what that is. But um, there is now some whisper. We aren't to a point of decisions or any, you know, real actionable concern yet, but um, there is definitely a sense and a worry and some planning starting to take place for, what if we can't have people travel to this? Maybe if this is still bad, the the, the COVID-19 gotten worse, the outbreak is still there, it's still a very real fear to a lot of people. Are we going to be able to send our athletes there? Are people going to be able to travel and visit the Olympics? Um, and the Olympics is frankly an expensive event. To give you an idea, uh, Japan's estimated to spend $12.6 billion dollars um, in terms of the Olympics, spending twelve and a half billion dollars. Um, five point six billion of that is private, but the rest is in taxes. These are pe- These are money coming out of these citizens of Japan's pockets. Um, and they were really hoping to get a lot of money back from the Olympics. Uh, there's been some debate for a while about events like the World Cup and the Olympics. Do they actually make money? Do they end up just costing money? Um, but usually a lot of people still think this is overall a good thing. Not only does the event itself bring in a ton of money, um, but also the exposure that the country gets, it can lead to increases. We've seen in tourism, uh, Brazil saw that definitely after the world cup and, uh, in the Olympics. Um, there's a lot of other things that can go into that, but, um, tickets alone, just tickets to events, things at the actual Olympics themselves at the events were expected to bring in about a billion dollars. $1 billion, and if they cannot have people attend those events, even if they still host them, even if the athletes still go and are okay, um, that's a massive drop there, but it's really so much bigger than that. Um, again, just like the I was mentioning in the tennis event in Southern California, there are a lot of things in place that the event themselves doesn't necessarily, isn't the breadwinner, isn't you know going to bring in the big bucks it's everything around that. It's the hotels, the travel expenses, the other things people do in those areas when they're visiting those events, pretty much anything that they're spending outside of Olympic park there, um, in Tokyo where the events will be held is going to be killed. And unfortunately, um, luckily Japan and the IOC, um, do have a $20 million insurance policy around this. Um, I would not necessarily right now want to be the insurance company on the hook for the other side of that. Um, but uh that is worth noting that it is significantly higher in the past work um uh the IOC typically has about a ten million dollar policy. Um again, the cost of that policy is twenty million. I should clarify um the details of the you know what they get back if that is implemented, if the event is canceled or something are not made public. Um, but uh the other thing is that realistically, no matter what happens here, if the Olympics don't go off without a hitch, um people aren't able to attend, they aren't able to bring their hard-earned dollars and spend them in Japan and around Tokyo. Japan's gonna take a massive hit. Um, they've already invested billions of dollars in stadium. I think they have like a $1.2 billion stadium that they've already completed. Um, and they have a ton of other stuff um, that is in place in terms of infrastructure and investments in the area, transportation investments, things like that, that some of those things you could argue, you know, okay, well they'll be it can be used by the citizens of Tokyo realistically we've seen especially things like stadiums and venues um, are very underutilized after the events themselves look no further than the bird Nest in beijing from 2008 um, that was kind of converted into condos and kind of is in ruins now Um, a lot of these really cool stadiums that look awesome on tv and are great for those you know b-roll fly-in shots as you're going into the swimming event or whatever it may be don't serve a lot of purpose outside of the actual olympics so no olympics no real use for the venue it's not looking good. A lot of uh, wasted dollars there on the side of Japan. So um, there's a lot of concern around the Tokyo Olympics, um, but I do also want to make sure we look back close to home here where, again, as we mentioned, the U.S. hasn't fully been impacted by this, but that's literally kind of changing by the minute. Um, We are talking about now um, about uh, the NBA potentially looking at closing certain things, the NHL doing this, City of Seattle doing this and that. Um, The US sports doors closing is definitely difficult to project, but it's definitely a risk. Um, There's a lot of big sporting events coming up in the next few months that could definitely be impacted by this. Just to list off a couple, March Madness, the Masters Golf Tournament, the NBA and NHL Playoffs, maybe the two leagues that have the most risk coming up, the NFL Draft. There's a lot of stuff that could go real bad, if, frankly, if people can't come spend their dollars on that and their hard-earned money on it. Um, Just to give you some general ideas, $850 million is how much the TV rights and the marketing rights for the March Madness tournament is worth. Um, Good news is that, you know, that tournament, even though it brings in a lot of in-person money, also brings in a ton of, we'll call it digital money, um, streaming, ads, TV rights, things like that. Um, The Masters itself, again, going to probably still, even if it's just the players, and they don't allow fans to go out to Augusta this year, um, the Masters event itself is still going to get that money. However, the city of Augusta, um, actually there's an article this guy wrote that he's a little worried. This could kill the city of Augusta because the city of Augusta relies so heavily on the influx and in revenue from master's weekend for a lot of the things that they do from as a municipality that missing this one year, cause they haven't missed it in forever, um, could really put a wrinkle and almost decimate a city potentially. So that's a little, that's a little unnerving, especially if I'm an Augusta resident there. Um, And then I mentioned the NBA and the NHL, as they go into the playoff season, they're probably the bigger risk. Yes, the MLB has some exposure. MLS has some exposure. But those seasons are just kicking off. Um, They have a lot more ability to do things like reschedule games, um, which is one of the major kind of uh, solutions that's been presented. This is, hey, if we can't do this now, let's kick it back. Let's delay. Let's reschedule. So the the MLS season, the MLB season, they have a lot more flexibility there. The NBA and the NHL are coming up on the playoffs. Um, obviously, they could always delay it, but with the way the league years work, the way with a bunch of other things set up work, they don't have nearly as much flexibility to push things off. It's not like, you know, the MLB could theoretically come out tomorrow and kick the can for a month and say, hey, we're not going to, you know, open the season here in a couple of weeks. We're going to open it at the end of April. They could probably find a way to adjust the season, do a lot of things to make that work. Um, unfortunately, the NBA and the NHL aren't really going to have that option. They got to get the playoffs in. So. There, there's a lot of things we see. Um, again, rescheduling and delay is really what we typically see. Even back to events, you think back to 9/11, um, the earthquake in San Francisco during the Giants World Series um, years ago. Um, all those things are typically able to be delayed. They end up being okay. Um, but the we've talked a lot of doom and gloom. I do want to leave you guys one little last note that um, maybe a little light at the end of the tunnel here. Again, it's a real small light if I'm being honest, but. Something that good that you could kind of take away and come out from this is that there is actually one avenue where um, this could be a cool little experiment. And what I mean by that, don't, don't jump down my throat quite yet about why I think this is cool, but um, if there's no fans allowed at a lot of these events, whether it be March Madness, the Masters, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, whatever it may be, it will be a very interesting case study on the consumption and the engagement from a TV and streaming perspective That has become, as these technologies advanced, that's become bigger and bigger and bigger, a bigger and bigger revenue source for these leagues. And it kind of could be interesting to see the kind of economic impact and fallout of, hey, you guys are gonna make zero dollars from the in-person attendance and the events in the area, but how are the leagues going to do? Are they gonna get more people logging in to the streaming accounts to watch stuff? Are they gonna get more people watching on TV, which is gonna help drive more ad revenue and things like that? there's a way that actually from a overall business perspective, these leagues could be perfectly fine. They could have just, their dollars are going to shift from that, in, you know, split between TV and in-person to entirely to TV slash internet. Um, I think it's probably optimistic to say that it wouldn't, you know, go down still slightly. But um, again, when it, we should take a step back while acknowledging that and realize that it, as I talked about these cities, these economies, the businesses around these arenas um, are all going to be negatively impacted by this. When those businesses are impacted, the employees of those businesses are impacted, they start spending less and we're back to our consumer spending dropping. Um, Again, this is just another part of this web. So um, I know this has been a little bit of a downer show and a little bit of a, uh uh-oh, what's coming next? But uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that as we've talked over the last month or so, we've progressed from a, I think we're fine to We'll have to see, but we should be okay to a, hmm, I don't know, to a, uh oh, this might not be good. Um, so, cr- the COVID 19 is definitely still in play. The oil battle kind of between Russia and Saudi Arabia is still very much up in the air. We could see this go a lot of directions. So, we need to be aware. We need to be careful. Um, businesses need to start preparing accordingly. Um, doesn't mean that you, you know, batten down the hatches yet or anything like that, but it does mean that maybe you. Um, uh, change your outlook from a growth perspective or from a, what is the economy going to be? The economy has been great for almost a decade now. Um, Businesses have probably gotten pretty comfortable with that economy. Um, This might be a test and a shakeup we need. Again, uh, some people think we needed that market correction anyway. Um, I don't think anyone thought it would be quite this uh, drastic and jarring, but hey, um, maybe it'll be a blessing in disguise. But Um, all that to say, I hope everyone out there stays safe. Um, wash those hands. Don't, you know, don't touch the face, listen to all the advice, um, stay safe. And, uh, as long as we're uh, market scale is still here, we will be here on Wednesdays, um, diving into some data. So with that, we are going to go ahead and sign off. It has been a blast as always to talk with you guys, and we will plan on seeing you next week. Take care.